a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Great to have you with us this week. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Castrol in 2024. Of course, don't forget the Castrol Oil Guide to select the right car engine or trade oil. Search for it now, Castrol Oil Guide online for more. Now, a guy we don't have to search for very hard because it's almost time for the Repco Bathurst 12-hour. He's front and centre. He's the heartbeat of the 12-hour. First time on the Sleuth Podcast, Richard Crail, beaming in from South Australia. Lovely to chat to you, my friend. Aaron Noonan, nice to be here. How has it taken this long to make this happen? Your agent is very hard to deal with and requires a lot of zeros on the invoice. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah. I need to, uh, need to rectify that because my door is always open to Sleuth HQ, but uh, yeah, what an exciting time of year. I feel like this is the time of year where I sort of emerge from hibernation for a month and then just sort of disappear quietly off into the night for 11 months before revolving out again for the following year. Usually we see you on a Sunday night, Monday morning after the 12-hour keeled over, having yes. put in a massive week or three in the lead-up and the event, calling on television, working in the media side of things for the event. There's kind of nothing that you don't do. And you're the perfect guy to join me for our preview podcast episode for this year's Repco Bathurst 12-hour. And, mate, this race is kind of the licorice all sorts of Australian motorsport, and I say that in a great way. It's harder to pick than a broken nose because you've got all these drivers, all these cars, all these teams running together for pretty much the only time you'll ever see them in the one place at the one time with one another because in other weeks of their GT lives, they're against one another, they're in different cars. It's the only time you'll kind of see all these people together in the one place in this situation. Yeah, and it doesn't happen in Australian motorsport really at all. Every now and then we're lucky that we get uh, Kevin Estra, for example, come down and run in the Supercars Championship, which is great, and he's not the only one that's done that. But this is the only time uh, in, in in a large sample size at the most famous circuit we've got at a race worthy of it where the very best and brightest that we've got to offer from our sport in this part of the world. And as you and I talk about endlessly, we're all very proud of Australian motorsport for the quality of our domestic competition. So be it supercars or be it GT World Challenge Australia, Carrera Cup, whatever it might be, we always sit there and go, our stuff is world-class. Well, this is the race where we can prove that because it's such a melting pot, as you said, between not just our best drivers like a Craig Lowndes, but our best young drivers, like Cam McLeod's in the field this year. There's a bunch of young rising stars, Tom Randall, drivers making their mark that will get a lot out of this race because it will open their eyes to uh, potential international careers. And and I'd probably cite Chaz Mostert as perhaps being the best example of that, Noons, from a 12-hour point of view, when he burst onto the scene in that privately run BMW M6 that Ryan McLeod was running, he put the thing on the front row, very nearly polled it, and BMW went, huh, where's this guy been all our lives? And a year later, he returned with BMW Team Schnitzer, the most famous touring car and GT team they've got uh, and had, um, and went on to do a bit of international racing with them as well. So I think that's why the 12-hour is so special, that our guys get to go head-to-head with some of the very best GT drivers in the world. And this year's field, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, this year's field is 
filled with some of the very best GT drivers in the world, which is awesome. Last time I looked at the entry list, of course, next weekend is the race. Practice begins uh, on Friday next week. Last time I looked, I think it was at 31-ish cars. It's yep. a really top lineup in terms of the GT stuff. There's a little bit of invitational cars. There's some interesting stuff to go through there. But you can't talk about the field for this year's race without instantly looking down the list to 46, to BMW Team WRT, to Valentino Rossi. His arrival to the event last year brought it to a new level. I mean, it brought people – I mean, I haven't seen autograph lines like that at Bathurst at an event other than the 1000 probably ever. He, he really did transcend that event and help grow it to that next level in a way that I can't think of anybody else who probably could do that. No, I think you're right. And and outside of uh, Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, he he's sort of the household motorsport name. And I think that was why it was so big, him coming to that race, is that when you look at the properly global household names in world motorsport right now, Hamilton, yes. Verstappen, yes. Maybe Charles Leclerc, but probably not yet. He probably hasn't done enough. And and then there's Valentino Rossi, and he's the other one that you could drop in my grandparents' house and they'll go, oh, yeah, we've heard of him. Um and I think that just brought so much to the 12-hour, um, not from a credibility point of view because the race had it, but just a pure star po- uh, power point of view. And, and you're right, there were people that travelled from Western Australia to visit that race just because Valentino Rossi was there because they'd never had an opportunity to see him race. They'd never been able to get to Phillip Island and see him on two wheels or anywhere on two wheels overseas. This was their opportunity to see VR in the flesh while they could still do it. Um, And I think that was his power. And and those autograph lines were extraordinary. But I think the thing that was even more staggering for me, Noons, about the VR thing was that at no point that weekend were there any less than 50 people behind his garage. So it could be 8 o'clock in the morning, 50 people behind the garage. 6 o'clock at night, WRT's got the car up on stands prepping it. Valentino's probably long gone, still 50 people out the back of the garage. And then during the race, when he'd jump out of the car from a stint and walk out the back to go to the container and the RV to get changed and and have a break, lines of people five deep letting him walk through and he was friendly and waving and smiling. And it was such an incredible impact. And the fact that he's come back, I think is really important because Valentino did a really good job last year. I, I think he exceeded expectations for what he would do from a performance standpoint behind the wheel. But as we've seen so many times, Bathurst is a tricky place. You come back a second year, you've got that one year of reference in your brain. You can get right on it from practice one. I think he'll be an even more competitive proposition in car 46 this year. And with some of the changes they've made to that driver lineup as well, I think that car only gets stronger circa 2024 than it was last year. And last year it was a contender for probably three quarters of the race. And when you talk about the lineup there, Maxime Martin, the Belgian driver, and they've also added in a guy who's been at Bathurst quite a few times in the 12-hour, but in a different brand, uh, Raffaello Michello, who has uh, been in Mercedes-Benz and come close to winning the race a few times with the Group M team. He is now in that BMW team. They're bringing two cars again, two of the M4 uh, GT3s. Uh, the other question that comes into this race is always about balance of performance. That's what GT3 racing is built upon. Audi, Mercedes AMG, Porsche, B 
BMW. They're, they're the cars that will decide the race. It's very much in the last few years since there's been no Bentleys, Nissan GTRs, uh, Ferrari, although there is a uh, new model Ferrari uh, into GT racing. Um, it's been really about the German cars, hasn't it? But you don't quite know what you're going to get until they roll out at Bathurst because of this balance of performance that is what underpins GT3 racing, not just here, but everywhere around the world. Yeah, and traditionally, with some irony, Bathurst has always been one of the better tracks in the world for BOP because it's so unique in that it has something for everyone. So if your car is BOP'd to a point where it perhaps might not have quite as much aero as another brand, but it'll be quicker in a straight line up and down the hill, whereas another brand might be better across the top. There's a, a famous story, a famous moment in the race with Lawrence Vanthor, the Belgian, when he was in Audi and was very vocal one year that Audi were, were not favoured in the BOP that year. The car had too much downforce and not enough straight line speed. So they get gobbled up when they went down Conrad Strait and, and they really couldn't race with it. 2016, I think it was. Um, so Lauren's solution to that was just to drive the car harder across the top of Mount Panorama. And in qualifying, he was all four wheels off at McPhillamy Park through the sand trap, boot firmly in, didn't lift. And that was his solution to get around the BOP drama. But, but Bathurst is traditionally a quite a good circuit because there is something. So if your car's good in a straight line, you can make up time down Conrod. If it's got heaps of downforce it's really good across the top of the mountain. And what it ends up in is you get that mix where there's so many different brands. And I think at least once, if not twice on occasion, we've had seven different brands finishing the top seven finishing positions at the end of the race. So it's a good track for BAP. The BMWs are an interesting one, Noons, because they're the only turbo car, which is really interesting in a world that's rapidly shifting to turbocharging technology in motorsport. GT racing, and in particular, the cars that are running here. So the Audi R8, still a normally aspirated V10. The Porsche, still a normally aspirated flat six. The Merc with its huge V8 stuck out, sort of mid-mounted under that long, long front bonnet, still normally aspirated. The BMW turbocharged, and last year they were good all weekend, right up to the point where it got really hot in the middle of race day on Sunday. And in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if the the turbo boost regulations and the way they BOP the cars with turbochargers, I wonder if that hurt them just a little bit more when it got really warm during the day. Turbochargers love the crisp, cool air. The cars were really fast early in the morning in the race, and they were quicker towards the end. I wonder if that cost them a little bit, and I wonder if that's been a little adjustment they've been able to make for 2024 to improve those BMWs. But they're a factor. Coming back for a second year will improve WRT as a package, as a team, car setup, everything they've got around it. So, yeah, they're, they're contenders. There's no doubt about it. And they know how to win this race, but they did win it with Audi going back a few years. Now, if I cast my eye, fine sir, through this entry list, I mean, there, there are other naysayers who say, oh, it's only 30 and a bit. I think the reality is, though, that this race doesn't need more than, say, 40. I mean, it doesn't need 55. It doesn't need 50. Um, I'm really firm in that. I have been for a couple of years that, you know, 30-ish, low 30s is a good quality number. And when you look at the cars in the field, it's a really nice blend. So if we take a look through kind of a bit of a, a who's who, some of our listeners will be thinking, I've seen and heard a little bit on socials and a few teams have announced some things and some uh, supercar drivers are involved and they've been out testing. So... I know there's a lot of people who want to know about some of the supercar guys. Yes, Chas Mostert's in the field, 
No, he's not in an Audi. That's a difference this year. He's in uh, a McLaren GT4 class car. Uh, he's got a team that he's involved in now, Method Motorsports. So he's going to be driving one of those cars. Craig Lowndes is in, but he's going to weirdly team up with Cam Waters and Thomas Randall. So Tickford blokes and Triple Eight blokes together in a Mercedes, which is um, just a little bit strange compared to what we used to. Triple Eight are going to roll out with Will Brown and also Brock Feeney. And Brock was such a superstar. At last year's race, he was the the real shining light for Triple Eight last year. Winkup's back as well. He's in the second car for the Triple Eight team. Uh, Jack LeBrock's going to drive a Mercedes um, with Glenn Wood, Garth Walden, Justin McMillan with a bit of Erebus support as well. Uh, so there's some pretty handy names from supercars, including uh, Nick Perkett, Cameron Hill. They're going to drive uh, with MSR in one of the invitational cars, one of those Mark GTs. So there's that great blend of our stars that our audience knows and then some of these great visiting GT stars from GT3 who race at Daytona and in the States and in Europe. Uh, we And we've sort of got now a familiarity with a lot of those guys from their Bathurst 12-hour history that have formed their own kind of support here down under for this annual race every year. I think of guys like Maro Engel, obviously Kenny Habul's going for another win with the Sun Energy One team. Jules Gounon's going for four, which would be quite unbelievable. So we've kind of got adopted homegrown uh, talent and stars right throughout this field. It's a really nice lineup. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a couple of names there that are worth touching on. Hey, you, you talked about Rafa Marciello earlier, and there was genuine disappointment on some of the the internet forums, the Facebook groups that follow this race when he left Mercedes-AMG. So for those that might not be aware, Lelo, Swiss driver, furiously fast, has been an AMG driver for a long time. But BMW arrived on the scene and said, look, we've got a World Endurance Championship program we'd love for you to be part of. We'll give you that and we'll still put you in our GT cars at, at key GT races. So that's a pretty hard offer to, to turn down for a career progression point of view for a young guy still building his career. But the excitement that he's delivered to local fans over the last couple of years has been awesome. So there was genuine disappointment when he shifted brands and no one thought that there'd be room in the WRT squad for him. But WRT pretty smart at this endurance racing thing and they realised that Lelo, who's been to Bathurst four or five times and has been on pole and, as you said, has been a contender for a race win on several occasions, um, he's a pretty good guy to have in your race car. So they've brought him back, which is great. Gilles Gounon, like what a story this guy has scripted around his Bathurst involvement, which has been backed up by victories in almost all of the other major enduros as well at Spa and the Nürburgring and the key races. But he's made Bathurst his own. And I wonder, Gilles Gounon is a man I don't think that feels pressure. Because every single year in the 12-hour that he's been in a winning position, he has been under serious, serious fire at some point in the day, most of them in the final hour. And every single one of them, he just brushes off as if a leaf has landed on his shoulder and flitters off into the breeze. So 2020, leading the race by a big margin for Bentley, barreling down Conrod Strait, thunderstorms looming all around the mountain. It's about to rain and the right rear tyre fails at 250 k's an hour and completely unflappable, catches the car, peels off into pit lane, new tyre, still wins the race by 40 seconds. 2022, um, driving Kenny's car for the first time at Mount Panorama, spends about the final three hours of the race with Maro Engel 
anywhere between two and 10 seconds, but never any more than that behind him. So two of the best GT drivers in the world punching out lap after lap after lap, and he did not make a mistake. And then that conclusion to last year's race where first he had to deal with Maro Engel, who fed him off the road at the chase and got penalized for it, spun the car off into the undergrowth, first gear, drive off, no problems, continue onwards. And then he had to deal with 14 or 15 laps of Matt Campbell throwing his 911 GD3R against the fence and against the back of the Sun Energy 1 car and all sorts of other places to try and get through, didn't make a mistake and won the race for the third consecutive year. What he's done at Mount Panorama is up there with, I think, what anybody in the history of the joint has achieved. And no one's won a 12-hour four times. No one's won a 12-hour four times in a row. Um, and even if you include the 1,000 in that, the, the number of drivers to win four times is pretty elite level group motorsport stuff in this part of the world. So he's on the verge of doing something particularly special. And there's certainly every chance that that team could win again. So I love that. I mentioned Lawrence Vanthor before, and, and he hasn't been here since 2020. Last time he drove at the 12-hour noons was with Craig Lowndes in a Porsche and they were running really well, but had some brake dramas that dropped them a couple of laps. So unfortunately, they wouldn't contend. But there's a guy that's on pole. When he put his Audi on pole in 2015, he took 1.3 seconds out of the qualifying record at that joint. So he's a guy that's awesome at Mount Panorama. The list goes on. We could we could spend all day talking about the gun internationals that are coming. But genuinely exciting level of ability. And by the way, I don't think we've touched on one young kid from Warwick yet that that happens to be coming back to the place. So um, you throw him into the mix and it gets even better. The win, the win last year by Sun Energy 1, one thing we should point out too, this year it's different for Kenny Hibble's team from my understanding that he's set up now rather than kind of having his banner and then getting different teams in different corners of the world to run his car. Triple Eight did it a couple of years ago for him. He's set up his own actual team, his own actual crew that is actually now with his couple of cars that are firing here, there, and everywhere, depending on where the next race is. He's actually got his own actual team now rather than a banner that he takes with him and have you know um, other preparation houses run his car. The thing that they played the game on so well was that they ran with two pros and an am, and they won the race last year. Remember that... In the year after COVID, when we got the race back going again in May 2022, it was a pro-am race like it used to be. We went back to having full pro teams uh, and driver lineups, I should say, last year. Can you see anybody playing that game because they've seen now that you can win playing that game? Yeah, I can. Uh, and, And I think there might be more this year. So as you and I talk, there's still driver combinations firming up and the, the 12 hour is unique in that often race week, there's still pairings being sorted and deals being done behind the scenes to, to put race cars on the racetrack. It, it's a great rule. And, it, and it's a rule that um, Garth Tander, a colleague of ours, who's part of the broadcast, we sat down before last year's race and went, this is an interesting loophole that if you're a bronze driver, there's no minimum driver time requirement across the course of the race outside of doing 40 minutes in the car, basically. So you do that 40 minutes, your other two drivers could be world champions and they could do the rest of the day and you've ticked all of the boxes you need, but the car has to be entered into the outright class. So you're not racing for a pro-am victory where you must have one amateur driver in the car and they have to do about three hours of the race in total to be 
eligible to win it. So it reduces the reliance on the professional drivers. So we called it the Kenny loophole because it was perfectly targeted at Kenny Habul, who's a good AM driver. Like Kenny's done low sixes and fives in his Merc at Mount Panorama. That's not hanging around. That's, that's puts him competitive with some of the top AMs we've seen like a Liam Talbot or a Brad Schumacher, but they read the rules superbly, put their car in the pro class it needed some work for it to happen, and there are a few moments early in the race, and you can read about this in the official program. We went sort of went through and broke down how that team won the race last year. Um, there were a few moments early in the race that really worked for them nicely. There was a safety car. When Kenny was behind the wheel, he ticked off that minimum requirement he needed to do, but there was another safety car so they could burn a bit more time which later in the day fleed up, uh, freed up what they could do with Lucas Stolls and Jules Gunon from a, a driving point of view. But it's doable. It is absolutely doable. And with a bigger field, there's more variables. There's a potential for more full-course yellow or safety car throughout the race this year. So the variables get wider, and it opens, I think, the window for people to take advantage of what we call the Kenny rule to try and win what is a professional motor race with a pro-am driver lineup. I love it. I, I think it it sort of harks back a little bit to those days where that ingenuity in endurance racing, where the rule book was so much more open and people would roll the dice and have a crack at doing something completely different and it would pay off. I love that that still exists. It's still quite tightly controlled and things that you're going to have to have a good day for it to work again, but it's still a potential opportunity and, and they're doing the same thing. Kenny's there. Jules Gounon, Lucas Stolls, they entered in the pro class once again. Can they do it two years in a row under that set of rules? That would be a pretty remarkable thing given the depth of some of these pro-pro combinations we've been talking about. I love it. I reckon it's fantastic to have. Mm. It gives us so much to talk about. You talked earlier about the the variable, variables between the cars in terms of the, the engines, front engine, rear engine. There's just such a, a cacophony of sound and sight at a, a GT 12-hour race. And I think that's the thing that's really uh, captured the attention of so many motorsport enthusiasts who kind of pine for the old days of, of variety and field size and differences between cars. Um, motorsport generally has gone a bit control in so many of its elements where everyone's kind of got to have the same. That's a whole other topic. You touched on a couple of good things I want to cover off quickly. Matty Campbell's back, which is great, former 12-hour winner. Um, now he's got a big, fat, huge, bloody Rolex watch as well <laughs> to bring, so mm. I hope he's got that to show everybody when he rolls into Mount Panorama as well. Um, you mentioned too the official program for the Repco Bathurst 12-hour. It is available to buy online from the V8 Sleuth Superstore, but there will be stock at the track. And I've got to tell you, if you're going to go to the event I would recommend that you wait and purchase it at the track because we get a lot of people who order it online, wait for it to arrive. They've already left before it's gone to their post box. We do the best we can. We're going to get it out as soon as we can, uh, but we can't rely on Australia Post all the time to get it into your mailbox. So just a quick reminder, we do get a lot of emails and a lot of social media messages. If you're up for the program, grab it at the track. It will be at the official merchandise stand at the Repco Bathurst 12 hour. Um, one guy we haven't covered here in terms of supercar drivers is David Reynolds. He's going to be in, and he's not just in with any old car. He's going to be with Maro Engel in the Group M car. So another guy in the mix. We haven't even mentioned Jackson Evans, who is now a full-time supercars driver. He'll be there 
in a Porsche as well. I mean, everywhere you look, there is a story or something to talk about here, whether it's the drivers, overseas, local, the classes, the cars, the teams. Uh, and we haven't even got on to the off-track entertainment yet and the 4D Transit Supervan that's going to be there, which is something completely different from what I think we've ever seen before. Yeah, it really is. The, the Reynolds thing's a fascinating call by Grouper M. So th- this is a team that has been in contention every year they've been at the race. So they first rocked up in 2019. They they qualified second, but were upgraded to pole after Jake Dennis's Aston was disqualified for a, a technical infringement. They led 34 laps. They finished third. They would have been second the following year in 2020, but they had a late pit lane infringement that copped them 30 seconds. It was um, not turning off the engine, if memory serves, that year. Um, but So they would have been second on the road then. And then last year... Amazing job in qualifying for Maro to get the thing on the Alan Simonson pole position award. Um, huge drive throughout the day. They were in contention throughout. Led late, um, had the, the boost monitor issues with the, the data logging system that had a, a longer pit stop they needed to fix. And then we had angry, angry Maro driving rapidly at the end and then he crashed into Jules Gunon and had another penalty. And then he flew up behind and ended up finishing third, 1.4 seconds behind the winner. They're an outstanding team. The call to get Reynolds on board is surprising, but it's a really good one. And the last time Davey was in a GT3 car at the mountain, um, driving a a privately entered GT3 car, he was incredibly fast in qualifying and ended up somewhere in the top 10 and I think got his car into the shootout. So he'll be fast. He's so experienced at that place. He's handy in GT cars. His background before supercars was in a bit of Carrera Cup. So he'll be good. Philippe Fraga, the other driver. And, and the team we haven't mentioned known is Craft Bamboo Racing, hmm. who have gone the other direction for a bit of local Aussie input and dragged in young Jaden Ojeda, who was outstanding last year in GT World Challenge Australia, driving for Volante Rosso, was really fast. Mercedes AMG, I know I've got eyes on him as a potential junior, little talent for the future. Um, won the Bathurst six hour, and they've got Maxi Goats, who was with Triple Eight last couple of years, and Daniel Junkadella with them. So two really good international teams. And then you mentioned Jackson Evans at Phantom Global. That's a brand new team making their international racing debut. They're out of China, but the squad behind the scenes, Noons, running that team is an outfit called Team 75. And if you follow European sports car racing, it's a team owned and run by Timo Bernhard who's a legend of Porsche racing. They're DTM champions. They run in the DTM at the Nürburgring 24-hour. So it might be a new team, but no problems whatsoever from a quality point of view behind the scenes running. And and Bastion Boost is the running Super Cup champion. Joel Erickson alongside those two uh, is a fast young guy. So like we've been talking about, it's all depth. There's so much more depth this year. And I think the pro class is as good as it's been in the race, even if the ultimate number perhaps isn't quite to that nearly 40 mark. The the depth of this field and that battle to get into the top 10 on Saturday afternoon as well is going to be pretty spectacular because there's, I think there's 18 cars with at least one driver in it capable of putting the thing on pole position, frankly. The top 10 shootout got a lot of attention, Rich, last year with mm. the way that the format was tweaked from the single car dash that we're so accustomed to from 10th, fastest to, to first, fastest to go out in that order. Put them on the track at the same time in a couple of groups to get the t- heat and the tyres, to get things rolling. And it sort of worked. Everybody yeah. went, actually, you know what? That was pretty good. Let's do that again. Yeah, it was It was a necessity in 2022 when it was 
when we rolled out for qualifying, it was eight degrees. It was absolutely freezing, cold May day. And GT3 cars, for those that might not follow the sport closely or supercars fans, they work their tyres very differently to a supercar and they take two, sometimes three laps to get them into a window where they're performing properly and generating their peak grip. So that year in a pro-am race, it was decided that, no, we're going to give them 15 minutes each so they can get four or five laps. And it turned into a really cool sort of session. And I'm really glad they backed that up last year to give it another go to see if it would work in a field that was much more competitive, was much deeper and had probably a broader depth of drivers to challenge for pole position. But the thing is it worked again and it still (laughs) produced that headline at the end of qualifying at the end of a Bathurst shootout. And it still is a shootout, just not the one we know. But I think the most important thing is, is that we've had varying qualifying formats in the 12 hour over the years. So since the Alan Simonson Pole Award's been in, in place since 2014 and 10th anniversary of that cool little award this year, um, you know, there's been an all-in session. There's been a standard 20-minute session for GT3 cars. Then when TV rocked up and said, we'd like to cover some stuff on Saturday, can we please have a shootout? I'm not going to say no to that. Um, we did a top 10 shootout for a couple of years. That was great. I love that it's building its own identity. The top 10 shootout is an October thing. We love that. It's an iconic part of the great race. Why can't the 12-hour have something equally dramatic, equally as good for TV, equally as good for the drivers and the fans at the racetrack, but something that's unique, something that's its own little piece, and and it sets up so many storylines, like the battle to get into the top 10, and then you probably want to be in the top five to get to that second part of, of the shootout. So I love it. It's an exciting way to, to end Saturday and to set the grid for Sunday morning. I would still like to see all 10 on the track for 20 minutes just going for yep. it. But nevertheless, I'm not running the show, so that's just how it is. Um, a couple of little elements to, to run through. There is six practice sessions over the course of Friday and Saturday. Then we go into Saturday uh, around lunchtime, you know, those two qualifying sessions of 30 minutes each. And then the top 10 shootout, 15 minutes uh, in each part for um determining the pole position award, which, as you mentioned, is the Alan Simonson Pole Trophy at the 12-hour, named in honour of the great Dane, who we sadly lost at Le Mans some years back. There's a great feature, by the way, in the program about the winners of all the pole awards at the 12-hour over the years. It's a pretty amazing list of drivers and cars and some pretty special laps that were done. Race start, get up early. 5.45 a.m. local time on Sunday, February 18, next weekend. Uh, on the TV, you'll get to see it on 7 Fox and KO, of course, where it's been the last couple of years. But I've got to tell everybody, Rich, about something that's very, very special, very close to our hearts, Going Global, mm. the Bathurst 12-hour book. It's one of the books that I've loved working on over the years, and the fans have loved it too. We've got a handful of copies left. They are at a special sale price. Go to the V8 Sleuth Superstore now. Get yourself into 12-hour mode and order a copy. Get the program while you're at it. Of course, if you're going to be at the event, get it at the track. This was our book that covered the GT era from 2011 when it started up to the time of 2020. A photo of every car in every year's race. It's just It's a ripper. I refer to it all the time here, and I don't say that because I'm trying to do a plug. I actually pull it out all the time to double-check who was driving what car, when and where, because the years do tend to blur a little bit between Mm. who was what, where, why and how. And the thing that I love most, which 
it's kind of it's it's bad in a way, but it's interesting. This event has this weird thing where you don't just presume that every car that's entered and rolls out for practice one is going to start the race on Sunday morning. There seems to always be a way that a car or two or three, and even in previous years, four or five cars don't make it to the Sunday race, whether it's crash damage, which is generally the case, mechanical dramas that can't be rectified. We've seen car swaps in previous years. We've seen a little bit of everything. And I can't help but feel that we're just going to see that again because that's what this event has happened. Well, we saw a car swap last year, Noons. The the KTM gave up the ghost on Friday, so David Crampton went to uh, rent an Audi. Uh, otherwise known as Melbourne Performance Centre, and uh, did a deal to to borrow the spare R8 from Troy Russell and his team, and they ended up having a really, really good day <laughs> and standing on the Bathurst podium in their class, which was awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've used that book quite a lot in the build-up to this year's race. You, you get a driver pop-up going, oh, Vanthor, I know he's here in 2020, but when was his first year? And I found myself flicking back to the, the driver appendix to find out when when he made his debut, it was 2014, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, yeah, really proud of that book, Noons. One of the proudest things I've seen was at the October Bathurst last year at the 1000, standing in the Carrera Cup pit, and a guy had a copy of Going Global that I reckon has been read more times than there's been laps in the Bathurst 12 hour. It was frayed and tattered and torn, and the, the cover was falling off, and it was awesome i love that people have embraced that book the way they have and some people have been going through and getting all of those individual car entries signed by the drivers that were driving them that year which is great and and it shows i think the passion for the 12 hour that it's developed in the history as well which is dearly important to you and i and and people that love the history of our sport that the 12 hour now um in its 21st edition this year has built a um, built a heritage and it's built a place in Australian motorsport that that gives it that credibility is not the right word, but gives it the providence, I suppose, where people can go back and go, oh, do you remember 94 with the Mazdas? Do you remember the tree in 2010? Do you remember Craig Lowndes v. Maxi Book in 2014? People talk about the 12 hour in the same way they look back at the history of other very important endurance races, both here and around the world. And capturing that, I think, is really important. And um, we might have to look at volume 2.0 of that at some point with the stories that we've had over the last couple of years. And poor old Gilles Gounon's won the race three times, Noons, but he's only in the book once for winning it. So <laughs> I think he feels like he needs some extra chapters. So who knows? Maybe one day we can uh, we can add to that and do some stuff with the production cars back in the day as well, which was the foundation to the race coming back in 2007. But yeah, it's really cool. It's a special race. And I just want to cycle back quickly if I can. You mentioned that 5.45 a.m. start time. I don't know what your favorite moment in Aussie motorsport each year is. And the start of the 1,000 is right up there. It's iconic. But that first hour of the 12 hour, I reckon, is my favorite hour of motorsport I've ever seen. When the sun's rising up over the Blue Mountains, that golden light, bit of a happy hour, all the cars go quickly. That that is one of the unique, truly unique aspects of the twelve hour that is renowned around the world, and it's an incredibly special hour of motorsport. So, if you're going, please get there before the start because that first hour is special. Go and have a nap during the middle of the day. Watch the start, <laughs> and the same goes if you're watching on the couch at home. It's true. It's a very good pre-race strategy to adopt for the Repco Bathurst twelve hour. I've done it, and I can recommend it. I haven't had a sleep during the day, but 
getting there for the start of the race is critically important because it is one of the major features of this race. There's what other race can you do that for in Australian yeah. motorsport? It's it's really cool stuff. You mentioned too some of those great years and great memories. We've captured them in the program. There's a flashback to 1994 when Mazda went the three-peat at the 12-hour with Greg Hansford and Neil Crompton. And, of course, we could not do a program for 2024 without going back 10 years to that fight in 2014 between Craig Lowndes and Maxi Book. The Ferrari versus the Mercedes Um I reckon that was the day that the 12-hour took another big step forward and really got the eyes of a lot of people, including the company that now owns the race. Yeah, 100%. There was a moment in that race, Noon, so exciting it was, where my commentary colleague, John Hindoff from the UK, got so excited at that battle for the lead and at the stream of social media interactions that were happening that we'd never seen before on the event hashtag B12HR that he got so excited he knocked the timing monitor off the table in the commentary box. So we did two laps of that race with a technician from the TV crew under the table trying to rectify our timing situation because the excitement was such that uh, the old timing monitor had fallen off the table in all the drama going on. But you're right, that that was the making of the Bathurst 12-hour and the fact that it was Craig Lowndes involved with a young star of European motorsport. Maxi Book at the time was the global GT champion. Both sides of the equation, the European market and the Aussie market, went. Oh yeah, this is a thing. This race, isn't it? It actually, it actually means something. Um, and the fact Craig Lowndes winning a Bathurst is always good for business. So it was a special race and and cool to look back on that ten years ago. Now, amazing, it was ten years ago. Oh, it's scary. It's ten years Terrible. ago. You just you just channeled a bit of Bruce McAvoy there. I did special. notice a special managed to uh, to sink in there. I think you're right though too. Bathurst going global because we did that book in 2020. Because of COVID, it was current for longer than it should have been because mm. the next race wasn't until halfway through 2022. But since then, we've had 22, 23. We're about to have 24. I've got a suggestion, and I'd love to hear from our V8 Sleuth podcast listeners, and I'm sure you'll hear them too via the race talk and all the things you're associated with. What if we did going global 2.0, as you describe it, the Bathurst 12-hour, it's 21 races, 91 through to 94, and then 07 right through, photo of every car from every year, and then we add on the GT years, and we've got a bigger, better book that is packed with every car, the ultimate resource reference book for Bathurst 12-hour nutbags like you and I. Just just give me a sec, Noons. I'm, I'm just going to the V8 Sleuth Superstore and putting my pre-order in now. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You've got to help me make it. Oh, we'll make it first yeah, and yeah, then right, pre-order. Right. I like it. Yeah, nice. Nice. Great nice. idea. You've, you've handled it well. We might have to look at doing that. Mate, thank you so much for the catch-up. It's been great to have a look at the Repco Bathurst 12-hour. There's so many elements to all of this that we might not have been able to get to. But next weekend, we will be on the mountain, the first of two weekends for the Bathurst Superfest. The Thrifty Bathurst 500 will kick off the Super cars the week after and i've got something really special and i'm going to tell you about it and tell our audience about it right now next week in race week for the repco bathurst 12 hour a podcast special with one of the guys who won the first 12 hour 1991 toyota super turbo peter fitzgerald on the v8 sleuth pod next week sound good Sounds amazing. I've been the benefit of Fitzy story time in the past when he's been involved in one make Porsche racing in Australia. So I know what that guy's got in his memory. I cannot wait to hear that. He is one of the 
unheralded legends of our sport noons, and I think that's going to make an excellent pot. I can't wait. Yeah, of course, we talked 12-hour, the battles between Porsche and Mazda, which were, let's face it, slightly intense back in the day between those two brands tackling Mount Panorama. So Peter Fitzgerald on the V8 Sleuth Pod, powered by Castrol, next week. Krause, we will see you at the mountain next week. Stock up on that sleep. Get that alarm clock ready for Sunday, Feb 18, and we will see you at the mountain. Thanks, Dane. It's going to be huge. There he is, Richard Crail, on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Castrol. Thanks for tuning in again. To all our Sleuth followers, uh, we've got a massive year here on the Motorsport Podcast Network. Motorsport News Podcast with Stefan and Will. The BJR Rundowns joined us this year as well. Castrol Supercars Weekly and a few other surprises coming very soon. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll chat to you again next week on the V8 Sleuth Pod. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.